You're listening to the QPEM Podcast. To listen to our previous Sunday worship services, please visit our website at www.qpem.org. That's qpem.org. This week's message was given by Pastor Peter Kim. Yeah, just a quick question and a very important question to ask as we begin this message today that God has prepared for us. If you knew that you're going to die tomorrow, how would you live today? If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, and that was a certainty, how would you live the rest of this day, (laughs) tomorrow? Let's be gracious. Let's give another week. If you knew that you were going to die at the end of this coming week, Seven more days. You're given uh, that insight and foresight. How would you live this week? What will you do? How will you spend your time, your thoughts? Bucket list? You got a bucket list? I do, right? We all have a a list of... Things that we want to accomplish or things that we want to do or experience or try, visit or, uh, you know, go travel in places. Uh, um, before we die, we say, right? Oh, if we have a week to live, the things that, I guess, restrict us from achieving a lot of those items on that bucket list, whether, whether it's, you know, the limited time where we think we have in uh, our busy lives or the finances, of course. Hey, you know, they don't matter anymore, do they? So we're just going to go, <laughs> And live as much as we can in this short seven days we have. Eat to our heart's content. I, I go to maybe Peter Luger's every day, right? Two porterhouses. Stuff myself, you know. All the fat, butter, who, you know, what does that matter? Got a week to live, right? What would you do? I've asked this question um, to someone very close to me. I asked this uh, person. Uh, this very question. I'm not saying this person's Kathy. It might be. I'm not saying it is, though, okay? She really doesn't like me talking about her. But when I asked this person this question, you know, honey, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, how would you live today? She said, well, I, I pray like crazy, you know, this week. I just pray on my knees, you know. I, I pray and pray. I said, why, you know, I don't know. I think I'd be a little scared, you know. I'd be scared. Then what else would you do, you know? Take care of practical matters. She's a very practical person. I go make sure, you know, all the, my accounts were transferred over and, you know, all my retirement or, uh, you know, insurance matters, all, all cleaned up. You know, I want to make sure it's all clean. And, of course, spend time with the, the family, loved ones. Right? I, I asked, you know, you know, why are you scared? Like, what are we afraid of? Are you afraid of dying? Are we afraid to die? Well, if so, uh, the question lies, uh, you know, why? What have you to lose that you are finding so precious that you believe you will lose if or when you die? Right? Have you not fully lived the life that you desire or dreamed of yet? 
I haven't done all the things in my heart yet. I'm not ready to die just yet. What else are you hoping to do? We ask. If you knew you're going to die tomorrow, how would you live today? Now, this question helps us to reflect on life and death and eternity. What will you focus on? Invest in. Spend your time. As we've been going through this book of Ecclesiastes, uh, and these questions are very pertinent in this time, in this season, while we're in the midst of a pandemic, cases still going up, the death numbers at an all-time high, right? Since the pandemic began, you know, last February, March, I guess. Most number of deaths still. Now, these are important questions that God is bringing to mind. What are you living for? The preacher in our book of Ecclesiastes has been showing us, teaching us, right? The first half of the book was all about, you know, his pursuit of happiness. You know, all is vanity, right? All is chabel. It's fleeting, temporal, short, breath in the wind. We don't know what our future holds. We cannot determine what our fate is or our, our, our destiny, nor can we understand it fully. But there's one thing that is certain to come to us all. And the preacher has made it very clear. There's one thing that all of us will face a certainty that will come. The future is unknown, at least to us, but one thing that we will all face in life. The preacher today takes us to that once again. And after he goes and expounds on this key point, he's gonna lead us then to further wisdom that shows us how then we are to live in that certainty that is to come. And what is that certainty? Let's see this again, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Verse 1 to 6 is all about that. He's asking us to take a long look, a hard look carefully at this one thing in life that is for certain that will face all of us. And what is that? It's simply put, it's death, right? It is death. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 2, it says, it is the same for all. Since the same event actually happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean, to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As a good one is, so is a sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. You know, in this fallen, broken, sinful world that we live in, one reality, one truth that we can surely depend on for sure You and I, we are closer to this point of our death right now at this moment, 1235, than we were when this service began, right? We're closer to that point. Whether you're good or or, or a bad person, righteous or wicked, believer or non-believer, all of us will go to the ground in the end. And the preacher says in verse 3 that this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That's the same event happens to all. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while, while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. You know, he's not just saying that death is you know, the evil, although, yeah, that's true. He's saying that the way death does its work is also evil. There's no justice in that. How is there justice when a good person that lived a really loving, you know, giving, sacrificial life, giving to the poor, helping those in need, dies in the same way that... Someone who is 
evil, uh, selfish, conniving, deceiving, corrupting. Death takes the good along with the bad. Where's the justice in that? It doesn't make sense. And to anyone that experiences death, it ought to be outrage. It ought to be outrageous. The question the preacher's asking, are you outraged by death? Does death make you angry? Are you angered by death? You know, I'm reminded of a passage in the New Testament. I love this passage. I think we've preached on this before in our Gospel of uh, uh, John. Uh, as we went to chapter 11, the story we know familiar of Jesus. And then Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, their brother Lazarus had just died, right? Mary and Martha were just pleading for Jesus to come. If you come in time, Jesus, you will be able to save him. They truly believed he would. But Jesus actually took his time, right? He intentionally waited two more days to actually go when he could have gone earlier, but he waited, why? Just to make sure that actually Lazarus is dead, okay? Because in the Jewish I guess tradition, they, they still believe the soul you know, resides in one's body for a certain period of time before you know, that person is truly dead, I guess. So Jesus makes sure that, hey, before I go and visit, uh, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And he goes there in John 11, 33 to 35, and he sees the sisters Mary and Martha. They are grieving. That word grieving is a deep sorrow over their brother's death, of course. In verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, he says. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And of course, we know verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Lazarus' funeral is grieving, mourning, weeping. In Jewish funerals, actually, there was a lot of wailing. You know? If you understand the, the customs in, in these Jewish funerals, even poor families were expected to hire even these, these flute players to, to get uh, you know, this grieving, you know, just pronounced. At this point, even a professional uh, were, were called in, these wailing women, they call them. They were just hired to just wail at the funerals. Ah, just cry out, wail, and just create this sense of just sorrow and grief. That's a culture demanding the people... Mourn out loud. In verse 33, when Jesus saw all the people weeping and wailing, it says here, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. What does that mean? Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. Probably the most riveting lecture that I sat in during my seminary years at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School the theologian, the incredible professor D.A. Carson, I was so privileged to be in his class, biblical theology, and in this verse, uh, as he was expounding on John 11, I'll never forget, I shared with this before a while back, I think. John 11:33. he was deeply moved in his spirit. What does it mean? It's a very important Greek word. Carson points out, I'm not gonna say the Greek word, but Carson says this word isn't just a sentimental, emotional phrase as we understand, oh, I'm deeply moved by what's going on. I'm deeply saddened, um, you know, Lazarus is dead. Oh, my heart, I'm so sad and hurt by that. No, Carson suggests this word means something far deeper. It's not just an emotion of sentiment. It literally means anger, outrage, emotional indignation. Most of the translations, if you look at the Bible, 
In John 11, 33, it softens this passage quite a bit. It says, oh, Jesus groaned in spirit or he sighed heavily. Some translations say he was deeply touched. <laughs> Even the ESV says he was deeply moved in spirit, yes. But Jesus' inward reaction, if we go to the original text, it was of anger, outrage. He was troubled. Jesus is not just emotionally upset or simply grieving, empathy for the family. Jesus was outraged, they say. He was troubled. He wept as a result of his outrage. Why? Because what, Lazarus is dead? Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus up from the grave in a short time, isn't he? He's not deeply saddened because Lazarus is dead. Lazarus will be alive in a few minutes. <laughs> so what? is the source of his outrage. Jesus is outraged because here, death, as he sees, the result of sin. He sees death as a result of sin. Jesus is outraged by sin. He is angered, soul, is indignant because of the sin in this world. It angers him. It leads him to weep and grieve. I remember Carson saying, we ought to be outraged by sin. Why? Because it is not the way it was supposed to be. You know? God did not intend for this world to be in sin. We ought to be outraged as a result of sin that results in every person's death in this world. Every single death, we ought to be outraged by it. The question is, are we outraged by death? You know, that question, what makes us angry? What makes us truly angry you know, to the point of ind indignation? You know? Oh, I missed, you know, that Black Friday deal, you know, just by a mere second, you know, I had that, you know, iPhone in my hand, and the Xbox, you know, whatever, you know, the, the new X series, I had it in my cart, and it disappeared. I can't believe it. I lost it. Oh, that teacher, it's, she, she gave my son a, you know, a three out of four. How dare she? You know? My son obviously is a, is a four to four. Oh, got more taxes to pay and new president and oh, Trump. And what you, I'm angered by all these things. Yes, yeah, so those are things that could make us angry. You didn't get a promotion at your job. You didn't get a bonus. What makes you angry? That does death make you angry? Jesus' outrage at sin, this world is not what God intended. Our sin, our sin, yours and mine, it has resulted in death. And in seeing death, Lazarus' death in this case, the family weeping and mourning and all that, Jesus is angered. It's not the way the world was meant to be. And the preacher's here saying, how much more of an outrage is it, injustice, when you see, you know, good people, you know, lumped together with bad people, that death meets them all. I mean, how much more outrage when we see a young child being taken away from this earth in death before their parents? You know, you know I was 
seeing you know, a, a year of my nephew, 10-year-old nephew Jake, going through chemotherapy as he's going through you know, the cancer in his body. I'm next to him in the hospitals. I'm saying, what's going on here? Does that anger us? Yeah, it should. It's not the way the world should be. But death is certain. In verse 3, he says, this is an evil, and all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Under the sun, the preacher says, this is an evil. Note, under the sun, it means you know, on earth, per se. It doesn't make sense. Right? The preacher, notice, is not saying that it doesn't, there's no sense uh, at all about it. He's just saying to us, to you and I, to humans, our, our, our limited you know, understanding, human reasoning, it does not make sense. The righteous and the wise, and what they do, clearly though, they are in God's hands. He brings us back. It doesn't make sense to you and I, yes. But yet, we believe that God is still sovereign. My mom just a year ago, like in February of 2020, right? She was working, you know, she, my dad and mom always working. Nail salon, no time to just even have any hobbies of their own, no time to go to doctor's business or any of that. And the pandemic hit, right? I told this story before. Nail salon shut down, she's out of work. And now she has time. Well, let me go check a doctor's visit. And in that doctor's visit, they found a, a tumor in her uh, right side, um, the breast, and, and she said, go get surgery, let's go. We got to get this removed. She had a mastectomy. By God's grace, in the past year, the cancer hasn't come back. Praise God. Last week, my dad called me and said, my mom now had another mammogram last week. And on the left side, there see something there, the doctor said. So we got to do another contrast mammogram. Inject eye and really find, my dad is freaking out. <laughs> So worried and so scared. He's asking, you know, you talk to, you know, you know, the doctors here at the hospital, you know, Russian MRI, go do whatever you can, you know, go talk to some of your, you know, church members. Do they have any, you know, political, you know, plowed or whatever, you know, to, to influence, uh, you know, the hospital. I'm like, dad, what are you talking about? We got the mammogram scheduled on Friday. We wait for the result. Let's see what it says. We pray for mom. Let's pray for her mom. There's nothing we can do in that week. That's going to change, uh, you know, the outcome here. We can do all these things that we think, you know, you know, go to, you know, talk to more doctors. And at this point, it is out of our control. What happens with my mom's report, it is 100% in God's hands. So I said to my dad, God, what point is good in worrying? In worrying about something that is out of our control? Let's pray to God. Let's ask him for help. She's in his hands. I asked the leadership, QPAM, to pray. Thank you for your prayers. And two days ago, the result came back, and the doctor said she's cleared. Thank you. Praise God. Oh, huge relief. It's not another tumor. Yeah. We're joy and we're relieved. Thank you, God. You know? But it's another reminder for me, for my parents, hopefully, Life is fragile. Death will come to us all. What if the mammogram showed something else? What if the, it is another tumor and now it's spread to her nodules and over all the body? What if that's the case? And what if my mom's time is up? Is she ready to go? 
Does she know her destination? Eternal. You know, one thing for certain in life is death. It's very clear. If that is true, if that is true, then the question lies in what are we living for? How are we living in preparing in light of that death to come? Whoever we are, whatever we've done, the preacher is expounding, this life is worth living for, remember? In a short amount of time, again, chabel is mean, is, is like, like a breath in the wind, a vapor, a mist. It's so short in terms of the scope of eternity, right? It's true. What are we gonna do in this time? The time that we have, that God has given to us as a gift. When we're alive, in verse four, the preacher says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog actually is better than a dead lion. You see what the preacher's saying? He who is joined with all the living still has hope. Even a living dog, you know, compared to a lion, is better than a lion that is actually dead. Point is simple, to be alive, to have opportunity, a day of opportunity in a way that we do not obviously have when we are dead, right? So what are we doing in these opportunities? Every day. And there's a point in verses five and six. He says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead, they know nothing, right? They have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy, the dead they're talking about, have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Time is coming. And all the things that we think are so important in this world, and all the things that we're living for and striving for and devoting our life to investing in, all the things that we love or even hate, time is coming when all of that will be gone, buried with us to the ground. We cannot take all that, any of that. And the, you know, the preacher goes on further to say that you know, we don't know actually when this time will come, right? In verse 11 to 12, it's talking about something that, you know, we, we think we know, but actually it's very uncertain. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance actually happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Man does not know his time. It's talking about when death will come. And we plan life, we, again, we have all these goals and dreams and visions and we want to, you know, be well-educated and, get, and allow us to get the best-paying jobs and, you know, marry, you know, a, a wife or a husband and get a family and a house and all that stuff. But verse 11 says time and chance will happen to them all. You know, this word chance is not a really good translation. It literally means time and happenings happen to all. In other words, all these circumstances, situations, they're going to change. Situations arise. Things happen in life. Unforeseen events that are out of our control. Can we plan what's going to happen to our health next year or what's going to happen to our job even? The economy or our country? That's why it says in verse 12, just like the fish swimming happily along or bird landing for some food, then out of the blue, they're, they're trapped and caught. They never saw it coming in the same way. Our life can be turned upside down by something that we never know will be coming. Oh, that will never happen to me. We don't know. You know, David Gibson writes in his book, uh, Living Life Backwards Again, he says, as we grow up, what happens is we replace our childhood dreams of being a ballerina or a firefighter 
We replace it with hopes of an apprenticeship or a degree or a job and, and a husband and children, a house in a certain part of town with a big dining room where people can come and go and eat and laugh and drink. And I mean, simply long to grow old happily together with your family and grandchildren around you. Ecclesiastes is saying, yeah, maybe you will do all these things, sure, or maybe you will be dead before the year ends. Maybe you'll never get that job. Maybe you'll get married and have kids but never have that house that you want. Can you see? Where are you putting your faith in, the preacher calls. He says, in verse 12, man does not know his time. So you know what? We better put our faith in something else that is not under the sun, okay? Because everything under the sun is vanity. The question then is, you know, then what does this look like? On the one hand, death is certain. That is sure. On the other hand, the timing of my death is not certain. So then what should life look in the meantime? What should we be doing in between? To understand death, to prepare to die, Gibson says, means thinking about how to live. In preparing to die, it really means thinking about how to live. How are we to live? And here, the preacher goes right to it in verses 7 to 10. And this is the application. This is the wisdom he shares. He says, go. Eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in shield to which you are going. You know? Verse seven, how does it begin? A little small, tiny little word, right? It's imperative. It's an action, a command. What is it? Go. The preacher doesn't just go say, you know, hey, you know, eat and, you know, bread, joy, drink your wine and whatnot. He says, no, no, you know, go first. In a sense, that's that Latin phrase, maybe you heard it before, carpe diem, right? You ever watch that movie, Dead Poet Society? Old movie, Robin Williams, it's a great movie. Carpe diem, seize the day. Make every day count. If God has approved what we do. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. He's given it to us. So go and, 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 and seize those opportunities that he gives us. You know, some of us may be like, okay, wait, I'm confused. Does that mean that, you know, I just go, just go and, and drink and be merry and just, just have fun? And, and is that what God's saying? Hold on a second. Is this kind of a selfish thing here? No, what God's saying is don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait and say, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it. God has given every day as a gift from him. There are opportunities every day he has given to live life. So what does that mean, right? To live life, to seize a day. And to go, you know, maybe, you know, just go after something that, you know, you, you've been talking about. And actually put it to action, you know. How many times we you know, say, hey, I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be fit this year. I'm going to exercise, right? New Year's resolution. 
P. Rich and I, and you got a wedding coming up. Three, two more months, right? You gotta be fit, healthy. P. Rich, you got to fit in your suit. Come on, let's do this. PX90, okay? P90X or whatever it's called, okay? Let's do a 90-day program. Let's do this. You know, Elder Dave, uh, he actually invited me. Hey, let's do this 90, P90 day program together. I'm like, ah, let's go. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe we'll get. When is tomorrow? When is when? I mean, maybe. Let's go. Seize the day. Let's do it. Let's live today. Verse 9 enjoy the life with the wife. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I sent this sermon passage entitled to the ministry team on Thursday just to give them a heads up. And they were like, wait, what, Pastor, what's this title? Enjoy life with the wife. You know, Elder J. Yoon was responding back. He's like, hey, how about enjoy life with the husband? You know, why not that? You know, it's like, what happened to the husband? Sorry, ladies, you know what I'm saying, you know? Thinking Levy was like, oh, no, 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 Pastor Peter's right. I've been only married a year and a half to Benita, but no, Pastor Peter made the right choice in that title, okay? Enjoy life with the wife. And we've heard that phrase, right? Happy Wife, happy life, you know. And there's, oh, believe me, there's a lot of truth to that too. Okay. But is that what this is saying? You know, just make your wife happy. Enjoy life together just with, you know, with your wife and just do fun things with her, go on vacations. And is that what the Bible's saying? It's not just talking about your wife or your husband here. It's enjoying life with the people whom you love, cherish and protect the people that God has given to you. And especially if you are married, yes, this is very true to husbands, to wives. We're not told, you know, live with your wife or put up with your wife. Just try to, you know, you know, just kind of, you know, take what she says and, you know, put up with it. No, it says enjoy life with the wife. Do it together. How often we say, you know, hon, you know, we're going to go and, and we're going to be healthy together. We're going to be fit. And then we're too busy. End of story, that's it. I told Kathy, hey, Kathy, P90X, let's do this together. I'm sorry, honey, for always, you know, buying those potato chips and sodas because she would never drink it if it wasn't for me. And so I bring it home and then obviously she, she eats and drinks those too. I'm sorry. I'm, honey, let's do this. Let's enjoy life together. Let's be healthy. To share and protect those whom we love. Not just eating, drinking, or dressing, loving. And it's, an, it's an exhaustive list of God's gifts to you. It represents what it looks like to love life, to live life to the full. To understand that, you know, God, you made all these things, and these gifts, everything, every perfect gift comes from you. It's good. You put us in this world and to enjoy as well. And so I want to really appreciate and live life to the full. But here's that question again. What does it mean to love life uh, and this world uh, that, that's actually, you know, falling and broken, it's passing away? And what, is, what does it mean if I, I enjoy God and live for Christ, you know? And, and try, does that, you know, go hand in hand? I mean, I'm, I, you know, is this exclusive in a, in a way? I do say that there's a way that we can enjoy life with the wife, enjoy life with those we love, enjoy the gifts that God has given us as we enjoy God and live for Jesus or allow Christ to live through us. You know how it really it comes about is asking ourselves, you know, what are we truly enjoying? You see, in the created world, we can only truly enjoy the things that we do not 
worship. When we have placed certain things in life, you know, read Reason for God, Keller, all these other people that talk about it. When these good things even that God has created, these wonderful things like our families, even our jobs, our professions, our school, all these wonderful things, even our, our faith, if you want to say. And we put all these things in our life and we make that the most important thing, right? And that is something that we worship. We, in essence, ascribe worth to. That's what worship means, right? Then it becomes an idol. Then it becomes an idol in place of the only one who ought to be in that throne, right? And when we seek to worship the things in this created world, for example, when the woman makes her family her God and worships her children, ultimately we know as moms and dads, our children will fail us many times. They will disappoint us daily. They may not achieve what we desire them to achieve. What happens then, you know, then we are discouraged and left unfulfilled, empty, you know. A man who makes sexuality or sex his God and worships it, discovers that actually what is normal, pleasurable, what is given as a gift from God, it becomes, you know what, inadequate, it's not enough. It becomes addicted, chained to this path where begins to only enjoy the perversion, distortion of what God made was good. And of course, then, there really is no enjoyment. Whatever it is, you can fill it up the blank. You can put up whatever it is, the things that God created to give to you, to bless you, to, to make you enjoy. We put those things in a place of worship we cannot enjoy. We'll never be able to see the true joy that God intended for these things when the right things are in the right place, right? C.S. Lewis puts it, natural loves that are allowed to become gods do not remain loves. They are still called so, but can become, in fact, complicated forms of hatred, he says, <laughs> the opposite of love. When we allow these natural loves to become gods, they will not be what we love and enjoy. You know, so often it'll become the opposite of what we hate. So what are we living for? The only true way to live and enjoy you know, life with your wife or this world, this broken world, with a death that is certain to come. We go back to the story of Lazarus. Jesus is outraged by death and that is certain to all of us and he is outraged of sin that leads to death but there's something even greater that Jesus is angered by. In this, in this narrative, when we see Jesus is angered and outraged, it is because ultimately a world that is fallen of, of, in sin. Why? Because of unbelief. A world that does not believe. A world that does not have faith. In God and Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is grieving the same sin and death, the same unbelief that prompts his outrage also generates his grief. He weeps for that, weeps for the lost. Those who are lost because they do not believe. And because of their unbelief, there is no relationship 
with our maker, our creator, our father. And because there is no relationship with God who lavishes his gifts upon his children, how then can we enjoy this world apart from a relationship with him? We're not able to experience life. Why? Because of sin. Why? Because of this broken relationship with God. Why? Because of unbelief. That's why. And this broken relationship, no matter how much we seek after joy, meaning, happiness, purpose, all the things under the sun, we will never find it. Never find it. Remember again the point of this miracle. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Lazarus was dead. And now Jesus has risen him from the grave. There is joy. There's victory. But again, think about it. In reality, what? In another 10, what, 20, 30 years? I don't know. Lazarus, he's going to die again, right? He's going to go back to the grave again. So what is this, you know, exaltation, exuberance here? What's Jesus' point? The dead raised up, so what? They can be dead again? What's Jesus trying to do? He's trying to show us something. In Gospel John eleven four, 4, he says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Death is not our end. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through a church. As the preacher has been teaching, and as we know through the Gospels, that death is not our end. The sickness will not end in death, he says, Jesus says. This illness will not lead to death. It will end in resurrection from the death, church. Resurrection from the grave. Victory over death for God's glory. You see, death of Lazarus will prove to be for God's glory here. It's not in order that God may be glorified or praised. No, it means that in order that God's glory may be revealed, you see, God's son may be glorified through it. This miracle of resurrection, it reveals the glory of God, the Father. And in turn, the son is glorified. It's through Christ that now this life we have does not end in death. However long you live on this earth, that surely will come. Now it leads to eternity, eternal life, salvation. And I did a wedding this yesterday for a friend of mine from seminary. He was marrying this uh, woman, uh, this girl uh, born into a Catholic faith, and she had fallen away from faith. And I was sharing to her, you know, Man, she's been going to this Catholic church and, and, and the priests and, and they're talking about you know, all the works that need to be done to live a good life and, and, and ultimately, hopefully you've done enough. I've shared this story to her yesterday. I said, you know, before the wedding, I said, you know, this priest, you know, even, even the priests that have lived faithful lives for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, at the end of their life, they're at their deathbed and all these parishioners and their people come and they wish the father, father, oh, Thank you for your life and what you did for me and our church. Thank you, you know, for showing us Jesus. And man, aren't you so happy, you know? Aren't you so excited to meet God now? You're going to be with Jesus soon, Father, you know? You're going to be with Jesus. And the priest replied, you know, I hope so, you know? I hope I did enough. I hope I did enough in this world. To know Jesus, to be Jesus, to have eternal life. I hope I did enough. The question is, how much is enough? When is enough? How can we determine what's enough? How can we determine uh, this amount of good? It makes up for all the amount of bad that I've done in my life. It's impossible. No amount of good will ever 
make up for the sin that you and I have committed or will commit or will continue to struggle with. No matter how good of a life we live, we can never do enough to earn our way to salvation, to God's love, to God's acceptance, his forgiveness. That's why Jesus had to come. Death needed to be confronted head on. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could do that. And on that cross, Jesus does exactly that. He tackles death. And though people, some people said, hey, look, Jesus is dying on that cross. Look, death is victorious. Look at that Jesus in pain and suffering. Now he's dead. And bury him in a tomb. Praise God, the good news tells us that is not the end. That Jesus is not still remaining in that tomb. (laughs) He's still not buried. No, he's a risen Christ. In three days, he rose again, church. Death did not win. Jesus was victorious over death. The resurrected life. Jesus says he's about to raise Lazarus up from the grave. And in verse 25 in chapter 11, Gospel of John, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is asking, not just the listeners back in his day. He's asking us today. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, believes truly. Though you will die, yes, death will come to us all, yet you shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me You shall never die. You will not die. He's talking about spiritually. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the resurrection and the life? That he was victorious over death. And because of that, now death is not our end story. And now we have life in Christ. The life that God is calling us to live to enjoy life with your wife. What kind of life is that? It's a life with Jesus Christ living in and through us. Again, I I, I share this countless times. The Christian life is not me, Jesus. I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to do all these things for your glory. I'm going to go to church and pay my tithe and, and serve and help people. Yeah, I'll do all those things, but that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, living his life in and through your life. That is the Christian life. Do you believe he's a resurrection? Then if so, then what are you living for? Then if so, what are we investing in? What are we, you know, thinking about? What, what, are, what are our thoughts? What are we putting our money, our time, our energy in? Because if I believe I'm going to die one day on earth, yes. But that is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning of the next chapter. Then what am I living for? What am I living for? Jesus says, I've come. I've defeated death because I love you and I want to you know, live through you. I want you to experience that life. I want you to know me, a relationship. And I want that relationship to be restored with my Father. And with that, our Heavenly Father will lavish His gifts upon you. Not just to you know, make you prosperous and wealthy and rich. And no, that's not what He's talking about. He's talking about giving you fullness of life, peace, comfort, uh, joy, hope, 
meaning, purpose, satisfaction that is not found under the sun. It is found in his son, Jesus Christ. Church. Do you believe what are we living our life for? You know, I want to invite the praise team up here as we ponder that question again. If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, we'll give another week. If you knew that you were going to die at the end of this week, how will you live today, church? I dare say it will change how we live today. Everything about our week will change. It won't be the same. We do not know when our time is coming. That's what the Bible says. How will we live then, church? What are the things that we'll be doing, investing in, you know? Not just for this temporal world where things come and go, but for the eternal heaven on earth to come. God's kingdom, his glory will be lifted up. You know? There's all these things. You know? Even yesterday we had this amazing Zoom session with the missionary from Arizona and to connect with these missionaries. And we're not just only just sending them money and, and helping them financially. But we want to get to know here what is God doing in Arizona through the Navajo Nation, the people there. God, what are you doing to show your glory in the midst of a pandemic that's resulted in 15% of the Navajo people dying because of the COVID? 15% of their community. I want to pray for him. Pray for missionary James Lee. And encourage him. We have Zoom meetings coming up with the missionary Honduras, David Lee. We have a missionary John Kang in Kenya. We want to encourage them. We want to get to know our missionaries. Pray for them. Encourage them. There's opportunities here every week we have opportunities to read the bible with our brothers in the franklin nursing home to share the gospel the good news the invitation of faith to them we have evangelism a training a teaching coming up in february to teach us why we ought to share our faith the master plan of evangelism that jesus taught us pastor rich is going to kick off the new young adults college gatherings on Friday nights where the community comes together not just to fellowship have fun but to worship and pray and, and share life live for God's glory his kingdom which life are we living for once again it's a big message through Ecclesiastes are we living for this life or the one to come it's in control it's an underlying question today if you knew you're going to die tomorrow how will you live today it's an underlying question who is in control who do you believe is it still you you still think that you're in control of everything do you believe that god is sovereign he invites you let's pray church thanks for listening to the qpem podcast for more information on our church please visit our website at www.qpem.org that's qpem.org